0: continue in our study on grace, the power of the gospel. Uh, And so tonight we're talking about why live holy. You know, we are a holy people. We are that generation. And, uh, you know, one of the things that oftentimes is the accusation that comes against when you begin to preach the gospel of grace is people say, well, you know, according to what you're saying, you can do anything. And so why would, why would people live for God? Number one, not saying that you can do any, anything. But when you understand grace, it changes everything. You know, we, we've, we've, we've tried to do it under the law, for lack of a better term, keeping the rules and regulations. And it hasn't worked out very well. You know, because if you look at the church as a whole, um, there's plenty of issues. But when we understand what Jesus has truly done for us, and that's where it really, what it really boils down to, is coming to realize that because He loved us first, we're able to love one another, and as a result of that, we're able to truly love Him. You know, I think oftentimes we said, well, I just love God, but do we we really love God? We're incapable of truly loving God until we understand the love that He has for us. And so tonight I want to look at why live holy. And so the first, uh, in your notes, the first five chapters of Romans, Paul Presented grace in such a strong, powerful way that it was inevitable for these questions to arise. And and if you remember back, it's probably been a year or two ago when we studied the book of Romans, you know, we, we talked about that fact that Paul preached such a powerful message of grace that people began to accuse him of preaching what people call today sloppy agape, whatever it may be. Accused him of preaching a radical position in grace. And so what it really tells us is if what we're preaching concerning the grace of God, if we're not being accused of being radical, if we're not being accused of being in the ditch on the other side, we're probably not preaching the grace that Paul preached. Because when Paul preached it, um, he was, had all forms of accusations coming his way. So let's look at uh, Romans the sixth chapter, and we're gonna read in the first verse. <clears throat> it says, what shall we say then Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Why, why would Paul put that in there? Paul put that in there because that's what people, people were saying. Well, so shall we just continue in, in sin so that, that grace will abound? And, uh, and so that's what Paul begins to address as he goes through um, uh, this portion of Scripture. But let's first, let's back up to Romans, the third chapter, and the eighth verse. Romans 3, 8, and it says, and why not say, let us do evil that good may come? As we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm, that we say their condemnation is just. And so, he's saying there's these accusations that are coming against me. And again, the accusations that were coming against Paul was that, uh, well, you're saying we can go do whatever, you know, the worse we get, the more grace there is. Well, there is an element of truth to that, thank goodness for it. Once again, in, in Romans 6, 1 again, it says, what shall we say then, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound, and and of course that's a question that needs to be answered. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Dropping down to the fifteenth verse, what then? Shall we shall we sin because we're no longer under law but under grace? Shall we sin because we're no longer under the law but we're under grace? And Paul says, certainly not. Of course not. You know, and so one of the things that we need to see is to walk the holy life. It isn't coming from keeping certain rules and regulations. It comes out of our relationship with Him. You know, <clears throat> if we're going to be faithful to somebody, it's going to come out of relationships. We try to do it for for any other reason. Uh, Even if we don't fall, there's always going to be that temptation to fall. But it's an interesting thing when when it's based on relationship, and that's what Christianity is. It's it's based on relationship. That's what this grace message is all about. It's about our relationship with Jesus Christ. And when when we begin to see that, when we begin to walk in that, Um, I always say this to to the guys when I'm preaching to them in prison. I I say, you know, this Christian walk that we have isn't supposed to be the struggle that we struggle with so often. And the reason that we have such a struggle with it is because we're trying to do it rather than recognizing what Jesus has already done for us. Because when we begin to recognize what Jesus has already done for us, you know, that's where the motivation comes from. If it's, if it's, if it's keeping rules and regulations, it's hard to be it's hard to be motivated. You know, uh, my wife laid the law on me because she got the conviction of speeding. And so my my wife doesn't ever speed. I mean, I, I can't remember the last time that I've seen her drive fast. And so, you know, and so I've tried to drive the speed limit because that's what the law is. Let me tell you, that's a struggle to drive the speed limit just because that's the law. You understand what I'm saying? Y'all identify with what I'm saying here. Don't shake your heads because then I might have to pray over you. But I but I realized something. The more that I meditate on the truth, and the more that I allowed that to minister to me, and the more that I realized that the laws of the land are. inspired by God because he says we're to respect the laws of the land. And rather than the rule dominating my life, I let relationship begin to dominate my life. The less I realize it bothers me when people drive by me. I mean, a lot of people wave at me. And they're not using the whole hand. But a lot of people wave at me, especially driving down 30 because I'm holding them up. You ever notice how Carroll County cars never drive the speed limit? It doesn't matter whether you're on 30, whether you're on 141, Carroll County cars always whoop past you, And of course, they're just a bunch of heathens, so that's why if anybody from Carroll is watching this, (laughs) love ya. You know, but I realized The more that I allow it to be based on relationship rather than the law, the less difficulty I have driving speed limit. Why? Because it's birthed out of relationship, not out of law. And that's why with the word of God, the things of God, so often we struggle with it. We struggle with it because we're trying to keep it because that's what we're supposed to do rather than allowing it to be birthed out of a relationship with Jesus and doing it because we wanna be pleasing to him, because we wanna be faithful to him. Well, I wanna keep the law because I wanna be faithful to him. No, you wanna keep the law because that's what you've gotta do to get the brownie points so that you're in good standing with Almighty God. But what grace reveals to us is that we're already in right standing with God and because I'm in right standing with God, I can do the right thing because it's out of the relationship. It's not out of keeping a do or a don't. Does that make any sense to you? And so uh, here in in verse 15, he says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law? Well, I, I guess I can just, I'm not under the law. I've been set free from the law. So I guess I can just speed then because I'm not under the law. Yeah, you can. But then don't come crying to me when you got to pay the fine. (laughs) Praise the Lord. And he says, shall we sin because we're no longer under law but under grace? Certainly not. You know, I, I really believe with all my heart that if we really understand grace, The things that we always tried so hard to do, we'll do. But it won't be out of an obligation. It'll be because there's something on the inside of us that wants us to live right, to do the right things. So Paul, at no point was Paul saying, it's all right then, Just, just go out and do whatever you want. You know, in Corinthians, Paul says, you know, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful because we're not under the law. So I I guess that means we can go out and do whatever we want to do. Well, you can, but it's not going to be profitable for you. You know, because there's still going to be consequences. And so because we're walking by grace, it it doesn't mean that we're never going to have to or we will never suffer consequences for something that we do that's foolish and stupid. To go against the laws of God intentionally is foolish and stupid. <laughs> this is really deep tonight. Foolish and stupid, but it really is. And there, there's always going to be consequences to it, you know. But it says that all things are lawful. Well, we're not under the law. So there's not gonna be transgression, as we talked on Sunday, that's gonna be laid to our account. It's not gonna be heaped upon us. But that doesn't mean there still won't be consequences when we go against the principles that God's placed and given us in his word. That doesn't mean that we're gonna lose relationship with him. It just means we're going to lose out in the blessings that are truly available to us. Let's go back to the second chapter. I mean, the sixth chapter, the second verse. And it begins, it says, certainly not. Or in the King James Version, it says, God forbid. Should we just go out and sin there, then it doesn't matter? God forbid. Certainly not. No, that's not what we're going to do. How shall we? Now, this, this is the key to the whole thing. How shall we? who died to sin live any longer in it. You know what the biggest, one of the biggest issues in our life is? We don't realize that we're dead to sin. We see sin as being a dominant force in our lives. We don't look at it and realize Jesus defeated that. Whatever it might be that you know, the Bible talks about the sin that so easily besets us. No matter what that area is that is our biggest struggle, we've gotta to begin to see that it's defeated. That it's been defeated through the blood of Jesus Christ. But what do we do? We try to overcome it. We try to defeat it. We try to do it in our own strength. We think that it's, that it's up to us to accomplish what Jesus has already accomplished for us. And so that's why sin no longer has dominance. It no longer has control in our life. <clears throat> you know, uh, Romans 12, 2 says that we have to, we've got to renew our minds by the Word of God. We're all familiar with this. We're, we're, you know, we, we've talked about it so many times, how we are a threefold being. We're a spirit. We have a soul, we live in a body. And so this physical body that we live in, our senses, it's how we interact with this world that we live in. It's through our physical bodies. Our spirit man is that part of us that was born again, became a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. That's our spirit man. Your, your spirit man is complete. Your spirit man wants to serve God. Your spirit man is victorious. Your spirit man has received all of the graces that have been made available to each and every one of us through the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. All of that belongs to you right now. It's in your spirit. But then we have the third part of us, which is our soul. Our mind, our will, and our emotions. And Romans 12, too, isn't just simply talking about getting our minds renewed so that we, we have an understanding that we're, we're, we're saved, we're born again, we're going to heaven. But you know, it's a, it's a lifelong process where we renew our minds to think like Jesus thinks, to have his thoughts, to believe as he believes, to no longer be in that place where we're we're trying to get what He's already gotten for us. And until our minds are renewed, what happens is we still think we're trying to overcome. We still think we're trying to defeat those areas in our life where we've had such struggle. We call it sin, rather than realize that Jesus has already overcome it. He's already given us the victory. And so what we have to, what we do then, what we need to do, is we need to train our thoughts to line up with our spirit man. And that's why this book that we have opened in front of us is so important. Because it's in this book that we find that truth. It's through this book that our minds are renewed that we begin to think like he thinks. And so, you know, I've always said, <clears throat> faith is easy. Faith is easy. Romans ten seventeen says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so if we will repeatedly hear the word of God, faith will rise up in our lives. And so I always said, faith is simple. The difficult part of faith is unlearning all the stuff that was wrong that I'd learned about faith. You know, like, God blesses those who, whatever, you know. No, He's he's already blessed us. You know, the idea that we have to earn something, we've got to, gain something, we've got to do something to get something. That's, that's the worldly process. And so often that's what's, that's what's crept into the church, it's dominated the church. We've got to do this to get that. But that's not what faith is, faith is reaching out and receiving what Jesus has already done for us, which is the grace, receiving what grace has provided for us. But you know what, I found out something The same thing that makes faith difficult is the same thing that makes grace difficult. Because really, grace is pretty simple. We just have to receive what Jesus has done for us. But what have we been told? We've been told you've got to do this, that, or the other thing. You know, getting saved during the Word of Faith movement. Thank God for the Word of Faith movement. Oh, glory to God. You know, but within that many of the earlier teachings were six steps to receiving healing eight steps to receiving prosperity you know nine steps to this there were steps to everything you know what it was is it was these these teachers they were describing the process that they went through to get to the place where they they realized, or were able to, see the manifestation of whatever it was that they were believing for take place in their life. Well, the problem with it was, was we thought that if we practiced those same principles, if we took those same steps, it would work in our lives. The only problem is, those steps became rules, those steps became regulations. They became rules that we had to keep in order to receive what God had already done for us rather than realize what my faith is doing is just simply receiving what Jesus has already done. And so a lot of those steps we could have skipped (laughs) if we could have just got to the point where we knew what Jesus, Jesus had truly done for us in our lives. But you know what? We didn't know. And so we went through those steps. And thank God, we learned from it. But you know, the problem is, is, is many people have, have stayed there. You know, I heard Creflo talking this morning. Creflo was, uh, he's been teaching on um, uh, how grace and faith work together. How they're not in conflict with one another. That it requires the two of them and you know and he was he was talking about and, and I saw so much of this he says where where people the, the two extremes are if it's if you're totally in 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 the grace ditch you think well it's all by the grace of God there's there's nothing that I do I just well no if I for by grace I've been saved through faith and so faith is still involved in it there's a part that I play but he says if you get way over into the, into the faith ditch, ditch which, what happens is you get, into, you get into a form of works. And what happens with that works then is you get to a place where you begin to think that you have the right and the position to demand God as to what he's supposed to do. There's some places in the Bible where it's talking about faith where it carries the implication of demanding something. But it's never putting a demand on God. It's always putting a demand on the enemy, the evil one. Satan, get your hands off of my kids. Get your hands off of my money. You have no authority here in Jesus' name. Get your hands off of me. But you know what? God's God. We don't, we don't demand God to do anything. And you know, we don't have to. You know why? He wants to do it. And when we get a hold of what Jesus has truly accomplished for us, we begin to realize, even if we could, we wouldn't have to demand anything of God because He wants to do it. He wants to bless you and I above and beyond what we could ever think, dream, or imagine. So, <clears throat> getting back to, Our message again, why live holy? Well, Paul basically gives us two reasons why a child of God who's been set free from that demonic nature that we carried, because before we were born again, it was a demonic nature because, as Jesus said to uh, the Pharisees, he said, "You're of your father, the devil." You know, we look at the world, we wonder why? Why is why is it why is it so evil? Because it's evil. Because of its nature. It's not that people are evil. It's because of the nature that's in them that's controlling them. That's working their lives. They need to be set free. And so in in Romans, again, 6-2. We already read it, but let me read it again. He says, certainly not. How shall we continue in in sin? Well, that's grace one. Let let me start with verse one and go into two. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin any longer be in it? How can we allow it to control? How can we live in it any longer when we've been set free of it? But you know what? We've got to see that we've been set free of it. The second reason is to stop Satan's inroads into our life. Do you know what he wants to do? He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. I know it's not a popular subject. It's never a popular subject when you begin to talk about the fact that we have an adversary that's out to steal, kill, and destroy. But you know, as a believer, we need to be aware of it. We need to recognize that we have an adversary, we have an enemy, the devil, and all of his imps, and they're out to steal, kill, and destroy. And so let's look at verse 15 again. What then? Shall we sin because we're no longer under law but under grace? Certainly not. Of course not. God forbid. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether sin leading to death, Or of obedience leading to righteousness. Now I don't think any of us in this room are so far removed from our past life that we can't remember it a little bit. But you remember those issues that you were dealing with in your life. What did they do? They dominated you. They controlled you. We were, we were enslaved to them. We were not the master. They were the master of us. You know, my family uh, there, there's a history of alcoholism and, and, and drinking. They were, they were slaves to that. In the day that we're in today, we see people with drug addictions, and all forms of addictions. Every one of those forms of addiction is, is slavery in those individuals' lives because they are not in control of themselves, of their, fac- of their faculties, or something else that's driving them. And so, again, why, why do we not want to give place to the devil? Because he will take every opportunity... To gain a foothold in our life, to lead us down the path of destruction. Because he's still out to steal, kill, and destroy. But notice what it says here once again in this 16th verse. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves, slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey? And so he's saying, There's God, there's the grace of God. There's the evil one, there's the law. What's gonna gonna dominate your life? What's gonna control your life? Now what it shows us is that as born again believers, we can can make a choice. realize that as a believer, We don't ever have to sin again. Whoa. Well, pastor. No, I I didn't say you won't. I said we don't have to. Because we have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. We don't have to try to keep the laws. We have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us to guide us, to direct us, to warn us to strengthen us, to encourage us. And so, every time we hit a crossroads as to where we're going to go, we have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us who will direct us in the right way to go if we'll listen to Him. But so often we don't listen, and so often we don't listen because (laughs) we don't want to because we've already decided, this is what I want to do, amen. But see, when we learn to hear his voice and listen to his voice and follow his leading, he'll never lead us down that path because that path will always lead to, oh, it'll lead to destruction. I've got this in your notes, Roman numeral four. For a, for, for a born-again believer, living holy is a fruit, not a root of salvation. Think about that. It's a fruit, not a root of salvation. You know, um, I'm sure you've heard it from people. You know, when you try to witness to them, well, I'm, I'm, just, not, I'm just not good enough. You know, if I, if I get a little bit, you know, get some things taken care of in my life, you know, then maybe I can, I can get saved. Well, what they, they see is they see to get their life straightened out, or we're using the word holiness here, to get holy means that they can then qualify to be saved. And so they see that as a a root that has to grow so that they can can be saved. But it's not a root, it's a a fruit. What's a fruit? A fruit is what grows on the tree. And once we're saved, what that life of salvation is to produce in our life is is a life of holiness. We live holy because we are holy. You know, it's, it's interesting, and many of you have heard me say this, but I have never had to try to be Walt Schroeder's son. It's because I was born Walt Schroeder's son. And so as a result of that, the benefits of being of the house of Schroeder <laughs> <laughs> belong to me through birth. You are born again into the family of God. And because you were born again into the family of God, all of the benefits of being a son of God belong to you. Not because you lived right. Not because you did all the right things. It's a birthright. It's because you were born into that family. And so you need to begin to see yourself. You know, one of the things about Scripture, it's so important that we interpret it properly. And, and, And part of Properly interpreting Scripture is looking at it dispensationally, or you know where are we located in the whole scheme of things. And, and one of my one of my favorite stories, parables that Jesus shares is uh, is the parable of the prodigal son. I, I just think it's such a beautiful st- uh, account because it. It portrays, you know, the Father is a type of our Father God, and it, it portrays him so well. But oftentimes we take something like that and we take it to the extreme. You know, because remember the prodigal son, he was in the pig pen, and it says he comes to his senses. He says, I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to say to my father, I'm no longer worthy to be your your son, so treat me as one of your servants, because my dad's servants have more than enough to eat, and here I am starving. And so he he got up and and it's a it's a perfect demonstration of of repentance. He gets up and he goes to his father and he says, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your as one of your slaves. And the father says, No, we won't have anything uh, any part of that. Give him a robe, give him a ring for his finger, give him sandals for his feet. The son of mine that was lost has been found. Now, it's it sounds so spiritual. Oh Father. just not worthy to be considered your son any longer. Just treat me as one of your... Well, he didn't know his position in his father. That, that's, that's the perfect identity for somebody that has not been born again. To come to their senses and realize, I need to come to Father God and I need to pour my heart out before him. But you and I Our issue is, we don't know who we are in Christ Jesus. We we never should take that position, I I mean, we willfully take a position of a servant to serve him, but where our identity is concerned, we don't ever identify as a servant to God because we're we're his son. We have the older son, who was out in the field and he heard the celebration going on and he comes back and he calls one of the other servants aside and says, what's going on? And he says, oh, your brother, he's come home and your, your father's throwing a party for him. He couldn't celebrate. Why? Because dad, you've never done anything for me. And what did the father say? The father said, son, All that I have is yours. But see, he didn't identify with him either. And so we have people that are new in the church. We have people that have been long standing in the church and none of them identify, identify with who they are in Christ Jesus. We need to know who we are in Christ Jesus because when we know who we are in Christ Jesus, we realize to live a holy life isn't something I'm trying to do to get my foundation down. I already have my foundation. My foundation is Christ Jesus. And so that holiness, that life that I live, now is the fruit of that which I know. And what do I know? I know that I'm a brand new creation in Christ Jesus, that old things have passed away, all things have become new. It's a byproduct of living right, a right relationship with God. You know, <clears throat> when you hang around somebody long enough, you start acting like them. You know, when our kids were home, you could almost tell who they had been around during the day. Because their actions would demonstrate it at night if they're around a bunch of kids that were getting in trouble and so forth and were mouthy and all that kind of stuff, that's, that's what would come out of their mouth. But if they're around people that were, kids that were um, doing the right thing, they would be acting differently at night. You know, the thing about it is, is we do the same thing. You know, if we're hanging around the wrong people too much, we stop listening to the message on the radio and we start listening to country western or whatever your old deal was. Amen. No, I'm not against country western. Actually, there's some country western I'd rather listen to than some so-called Christian music. You know, they're both filled with doubt and unbelief. One of them, you just are more familiar with what you're getting than the other. Okay, so I shouldn't have gone there. You know, but 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 what, what we are around is what influences our life. How do we live a holy life? We hang out with Him. We spend time with God. And the more time we spend out, spend with Him, that that fruit begins to come forth in our life. But if we're, if we're feeling like we're in catch-up all the time, catching up all the time, not ketchup. Why anybody would want to be in ketchup? up <laughs> Hate the stuff. <clears throat> but we're always trying to catch up. We're going to find ourselves under the law. And you know what? We're never going to be feeling content. We're never going to be feeling satisfied. We're never going to feel like we're living that life that he's called us to live because we're always trying to get there. But when we begin to realize what God has truly done for us and we begin to walk in it, everything around us begins to change. Let's turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. In verse 1 it says, Therefore we also... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, when we run the race of life, we're to run to win. I mean, I I don't under, I I, I, I say, you know, people that say it's not whether you win or lose that matters, it's how you play the game. That's somebody that's never won. Because if you've ever won, you want to win. You know some of you you'd go crazy if you came to our house when we are playing games because nobody plays to lose. Everybody everybody is playing to win. Do you know why? That's the nature of the game. That's why you that's why you play a game. You know, you may not be the best, but you still play to win. You may end up in a race. You may end up in sixth place out of six. But you're not running for sixth place. If you are, get off the track. No, you're running to win. Even though you know all the odds are against you, you're still running to win. And whatever the sport, whatever it is, you're, you're playing to win. At least that's what we ought to be doing. You know, the only, the only time I give in is when they're under three. <laughs> Other than that, you know, we're playing to win. And in this game of life, we're playing to win. We're not playing to lose. And so our plan then is to win. Now, if we don't finish in first place, so be it. But we're going to, we're going to play to end up in first place. That's, that's what we do. And so here he says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. <clears throat> we're kind of talking about sin, tonight. sin is weight. Sin holds you back. When you go to a, you know, you, you see people when they're, they're working out, they're getting ready for a, a race. They may put, you know, weights on their ankles or whatever to, uh, you know, to, so they feel lighter when they run, to strengthen them and so forth. But you know what? When they get into the race, they, they take off every piece of clothing That is acceptable. And some of them, it's not very acceptable, but they do it anyway. You know, but why do they do that? Because they don't want any weight holding them back. So if we're running to win, amen? What do you you mean, win? Well, eternal life is decided. Amen? Eternal life is decided. That was decided the, the moment that we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But we're still running a race here on the earth. And this, this, this race that we're running is to live a holy life to bring glory to God. In this race that we're running, to live that holy life, that means we, we you know, things that would bring sickness or disease or, or lack or poverty or any form of bondage in our life, Those things we we set aside. Why? Because they'll slow us down. They'll slow us down. They'll keep us from accomplishing what God has truly called us to do. And so here he says those weights are sin. And what it does is it it ensnares us. You know, it's an interesting thing about a snare. You don't An animal doesn't intentionally walk into a snare. You know, the proverb that I was reading, I think, was yesterday, is talking about the seductress and how she seducing everybody that walks by, and and it talks about the individual that, that gets seduced that he's like uh, a bird that goes into the snare or the animal that falls into the snare of the trap. And the point that it makes is that the animal doesn't know that it's going into the snare. And so what happens is that it gets snared and it's caught and it's too late. Well, that's how, that's how sin and so many things in this world are. They're, 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 they're seductive. We don't even realize what we're getting into until we get into it. And then we look back. At it. I won't ask for a show of hands. I'll raise mine for everybody. But I can think back into my life. And there were things that I got involved in. It looked like it was going to be wonderful. It looked like it was going to be so great. And I got into the midst of it, and it was a snare. And once I got into it, it was like I was trapped. And it seemed like there was absolutely no way out. And that's what, that's what the enemy wants to do in our life. He makes everything look so appealing, it doesn't really matter. It's not going to hurt anything, just one time. But it's a snare. And it ensnares as it traps us. I don't believe anybody when they take that first drink are intending to be an alcoholic for the rest of their life. But yet they've opened their way for the snare. Or a drug. Or a slot machine out at the casino, or a relationship. They don't intend to be snared. But that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants us to to lose control. And what's the point of it? Let's go back here again. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Why? Because it'll hold us back. It'll weigh us down. It'll keep us from fulfilling the plan, the purpose, the call that God has for each and every one of us in our lives. And you know what? I look at individuals over the last 45 years that I've been saved and 38 years that I've been in the ministry. I've seen so many come and go. But you know what? I don't believe a single one of those ministers that I saw go by the wayside, when they yielded to temptation, thought that it was going to destroy their entire life. But time after time after time, I've seen it take place where individuals' lies were totally destroyed because they yielded. They thought they were doing it secretly. They they thought nobody would see, but it ensnared them and it weighed them down and they didn't finish the race. Because notice what it says here at the end. It says, and let us run with the, the endurance, the race that is set before us. In other words, my race isn't your race. And everybody says, oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> but your race isn't my race. And so I don't, I don't have to run your race. But you do. I have to run my way, race. And so I have, to, I have to set aside any weight that would ensnare me, that would, that would hold me back. You know, over the years... Um, There are certain places that I won't, I won't go in town, certain establishments. Some of them I've heard have really good food, and I'd love to eat their food. But, but the establishment is more a, a bar than a restaurant. They say, well, Pastor, you're not under bondage. No, I'm not. But I'm not going to allow my life to be a snare to somebody else. Because I would be able to go into one of these establishments and I could have my Diet Coke with whatever it is that I would be eating and I would be perfectly perfectly content. You know, everybody can drink their, whatever they're drinking around me and I won't judge them, it won't bother me at all. I'm a, I'm a Schroeder. I mean, family gatherings are not... Dry. They're very wet. And uh, I have my dot coke. Everybody thinks I'm on the wagon after 35 years. They'd know that was a big wagon that I'm on. But uh, but it doesn't bother me. But I won't go into some of these establishments because over the years I've ministered to a lot of guys that have come out of Alcoholism or whatever, and they would they could see me come out of that establishment and they could say, Well, you know, if Pastor Dave can go in there, I can go in there. But guess what? They wouldn't go in to have a dot coke, they'd go in to have something else, and so they're not going to use me as an excuse. See, for me, that would be a weight if my being so caught up in my own freedom that to be free at the expense of somebody else, that ain't gonna happen. I'm not gonna allow it to happen because then that would become a weight to me. And so we don't have to run. what it, so, so for you, that may be perfectly fine. And so I'm not condemning you. I'm not saying you're even doing anything wrong. I'm not even saying it's, Sin or anything. I'm just saying for me. It would be wrong because that was the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life. Guess what? He can talk to you if he needs to. And so that's why we depend upon, we rely upon him. According to God's word, your motive is actually more important than your actions. Well, now that goes totally contrary to what we've told people for many, many years. You know, I don't care about your motives. Prove it to me. Show me your actions. Well, that might be true in the world, but that's not how it is in the kingdom of God. Look at what it says here in, in 1 Corinthians thirteen three. It says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burnt, But have not love, it profits me nothing. So what's he saying? He's saying, you know what? I can do all the right things. But if I'm not doing it out of love, it profits me nothing. Do you know why? Because I'm doing it in my strength. I'm not doing it in faith. I'm not relying upon him. I'm not dependent upon him. Should we feed the poor? Sure we should. But it ought not to be out of obligation. It ought not to be because, well, you know, if you really care about people. You know, and so it's that that shame thing that tries to come come upon you. You know, when we receive our offerings in church, we don't put a, you know, I usually read a scripture and share a little something and try to encourage you a little bit to give. But you know what, I don't want you to give because Pastor Dave says you have to give. I want you to give because you wanna give. I want you to give because you love what what we're doing as a church and the ministries that we're supporting as a church. You love that. You love your father and you want to see his kingdom spread through all the world and so as a result of that, you give. But you know, I I found out something, you know, A lot of times within the church, there's this, there's this manipulation. The Bible calls it, not me, don't get mad at me. The Bible calls it witchcraft. You know, I, I've been in, I've been in um, services where they're taking up the offering and, uh, you know, when I go someplace, I always give. And then they start manipulating. They try to get your biggest gift. You know, God said that if you put in, well, that, you turned me off right there. I've been in services where I've put my wallet back in my pocket. I really don't carry a wallet much anymore. I put my credit card back in my pocket because I'll I'll not be I'll not be manipulated. Some of you you watch that stuff on TV and by the time you're done crying, you've got your your credit card out and you're well I won't say what I want to say, but you're you're putting something in there. You know what that was? That was manipulation. That was. That was witchcraft. And it's not just the world that does it. We see it within the church. Let me tell you, you are not, as a born again, spirit filled believer, you are not to be manipulated by anybody. You are not to be manipulated by me. You know what the the hard part about preaching grace rather than law is, I can't manipulate you. Because your blessing in your life isn't a result of what you do. The blessing that you have in your life is a result of what Jesus did for you. And so now because of what Jesus has done for me, I choose to live a holy sanctified life. Because of what Jesus did for me, I choose to give. Because of what Jesus did for me, I receive my healing and prosperity and everything else that goes along with it. But it's not about me. It's about what Jesus has done. And so aren't you glad for Jesus? Why do we live a holy life? Because of what Jesus has done for us because we focus on Him, because we appreciate Him, because we live a life of thanksgiving, we live holy. Not because we're trying to, but because that's our nature. Our new nature in Christ Jesus. Amen? God bless you. Have a good evening in Jesus' name.